Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. I hear you took a trip last week, Jeff. Where did you go? I did take a trip. I went to New York City and Washington, D.C., which are completely non-photogenic places. There's, there's nothing to see there. No reason to take photos in either <laughs> of those cities. I mean, I must admit, New York City is my hometown, um, and I wouldn't need to take photos. I've seen everything already. I mean, you know, it's building, 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 person, person, person. Uh, there, there's just really, really no appeal to those, to those places at all. <laughs> Coincidentally, just before your trip, you got a new camera too. I did, in fact. So I got a Fujifilm X100V and I did the crazy thing, which was pushing myself out of the comfort zone a little bit. That's the only camera that I took. So I'm used to carrying a uh, Fujifilm X-T3 and I've got an assortment of lenses and, you know, that mindset of I need to be able to take pictures anywhere in different circumstances. Maybe I need something really wide. Maybe I need a zoom. And this time, because this was really a vacation, we were trying to pack light. And so I brought this little Fujifilm X100V. It's got a single 23 millimeter, which is a 35 millimeter equivalent lens. And it's built in, so there are no external lenses. It's just this nice little compact body. And and it is compact, isn't it? The way that lens is built into the body, it's even thinner than a pancake lens. So I had the X100F a couple of years ago. Um, it mm-hmm. is so compact, you can literally slip it in a pocket, which is not easy with a camera. Exactly. I was able to just have it basically dangling from my hand oftentimes. I have a little uh, peak design leash that lets me wrap it around my wrist. And it's small. It was, I didn't even feel the need to bring a proper strap for it. I had one in my bag, but I never mm. used it. And if I needed to stow it away, I had like a little uh, sling bag that I could toss it in with, you know, my coat and just the little tiny things that you need when you're walking around. I didn't have to bring a bunch of extra lenses. And I just, it was freeing. It's, it was kind of weird, to be honest. <laughs> I really like that little camera. Um, I really appreciate the fixed lens camera. So what we wanted to talk about today, well, what you wanted to talk about today is editing photos on an iPad, because my contribution to this is, well, tell me, Jeff, how to edit photos on an iPad, because I don't do it, and I have no reason to do it. Yeah, well, so I think the theme that's that's building up here is trying to go somewhere and do it in a, a light way. So I did have my laptop with me because I had to do a couple of things while I was on my trip. But such as finish editing you know, the previous episode of Photoactive. Such as finish editing the previous episode, yeah. But there are there are trade-offs. I mean, it, it's a lot of bulk. I have the 16-inch MacBook Pro, so that's definitely a sizable thing. And quite often, people don't want to carry a laptop. They don't want to have either the size or the complication or even just that sense of, look, if I have my laptop, then I'm working. Mm. And I don't want to be working. I want to be taking photos or I want to be just slimmed down and, and lighter on my feet. And an iPad can be really good for that. The problem is, what can the iPad do? First, let's talk about the iPad because you can go from the 12.9-inch clown shoe iPad to the what is it, 8.7-inch <laughs> iPad mini 
If I wanted to be really light, oh, oh, yeah, no, iPad Mini. If I wanted to be really light, I would go for the X100 and an iPad Mini, and that weighs less than the zoom lens that you had wished you had brought but didn't bring probably <laughs> pretty close yeah yeah and, and also it would fit really nicely into something like a little sling bag yeah uh, so i have the 11 inch ipad pro and for me that's a really good size the 12.9 yeah. is is a better model in many ways it has a better screen uh but i find it to be just too big yeah just for daily use so the, the 11 is, is is the nice sweet spot for me the mini, I think, would be a little bit too small in terms of editing photos on it, but it's certainly capable. I would just prefer to have a little bit more screen real estate with the 11. Well, you're going to talk about multiple things. You're going to talk about things like sorting and rating and applying keywords. Mm -hmm. And for that, the mini would be fine. When you get into actual editing where you're manipulating the photos, then you do need more screen real estate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... You don't need it, need it, which well, sounds sort of silly. Need it, need it. Because, I mean, you can do photo editing on your phone, too. I've done that, too. So sure. it's it's really a comfort level. Uh, but in general, I would say having more screen real estate for editing is always better. And then you just have to figure out, do I want to take a big, big 12.9-inch iPad? Maybe that works out just fine because even that is going to be smaller or at least comparable to, say, like a MacBook Air. Not much smaller. Put a case around it. It's pretty close. I think I think in they weigh about the same thing because the Air is relatively light. So it's a, it, mm -hmm. it's an interesting trade-off there. I, I think the use of the 12.9-inch iPad Pro would be if you're literally a pro and you want that better display. And, and I think it's a better display than what's on, say, the MacBook Air. Yes. But other than that, there's no – I mean, if you're at that stage, you've got an assistant carrying your bags anyway. So it really doesn't matter. If, you, <laughs> if, if you're talking about you're on vacation or you're a journalist and you can't carry a lot of stuff, I think the 11-inch is the one that makes sense because you are going to be able to see enough. It won't be too heavy and it's a nice compromise. So uh, the first thing I want to know about is – how do you get the photos onto the iPad? Because we'll put a link in the show notes. I wrote an article for the Indigo Mac security blog recently about Thunderbolt and USB ports on Macs and the different kinds of cables. And man, it's a minefield. You can get one cable that yeah. does uh, data at certain speeds, but doesn't do power. One that does power, but not data. For example, um, the 11-inch iPad comes with a cable that uh, will charge your iPad if you connect it to a Mac or a charger, but it sends data at USB 2 speed. So does Apple really think that no one is syncing these devices from a Mac or PC anymore? Well, maybe. I mean, actually, I think that would be a fair assumption because Apple's solution is you're not syncing anything from from tablet to computer, you're doing it all through the cloud. Well, let's say you're going on a trip and you've got a bunch of movies you want to put on your iPad and it takes 12 hours to do it. Um, so my, my yeah. recommendation, buy a Thunderbolt cable, no matter what you're using, in as long as it's USB-C, because Thunderbolt's going to work with every version of USB-C and you'll get the fastest speeds. But um, the, the, the sync speed to a device like that is incredibly slow and has not improved in ages. The um, lightning cable is limited to USB 2 speeds, so you'll never get faster on an iPhone as long as it's still lightning. Yeah. So what did you use to get photos onto your iPad? So 
<laughs> so on this trip, I didn't because I, I, I mostly put everything on my computer that I had. However, oh, however. Okay. Well, I actually have the thing <laughs> that you could have used. This is the Apple um, USB-C to SD card adapter. So I use this to copy yes. um, photos onto my Mac, but it would also go into the iPad mm -hmm. Pro or the iPad Mini, which are both USB-C. Uh, will not go into exactly. the iPhone. They have a separate adapter that is SD card to Lightning, or you can get a USB-C to Lightning, or you can get a USB-C to USB-A and a USB-A to Lightning, and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> a few years ago, I wrote an article for Macworld that we've probably linked to before that just did a rundown of USB-C uh, camera card adapters, and we'll put a link to the show notes. And I've tested out a bunch of them, and there, there are some of them that can handle the the faster UHS two speed. Oh, here we cards. go again. We're, just before the show, we were talking about USB three point one Gen two, which apparently isn't very fast on the Mac Studio. I wish they would just give these normal version numbers, and you know, absolutely, like this and HDMI. It's these so, things just kill me. To to give you a sense of how crazy this is, uh, our colleague Glenn Fleischman just published a take control book that's just about. The, these cabling issues, it's, it's crazy, especially because USB-C was supposed to make everything easier because it's just one plug and it, you don't even have to put it in the right way. It turns around, whatever, and it's such a mess. What I noticed writing my article is that I have a box with a whole bunch of USB-C cables that I've, you know, you remember the box you had with the FireWire cables and the SCSI cables you kept oh, yeah. them aside? So I've got one with the USB-C. Oh, still so have that USB box somewhere. A, yeah. My USB-A are in one place. My USB-C are all in one box. And there's no way to tell on the cables what speed they are. Thunderbolt cables starting are starting to have a Thunderbolt logo on them, a Lightning Bolt logo. But USB-C cables have no such information. And this is evil. It really is. It really is. It's, it's awful. So what I've done is I, I have a couple of these little dongles. It allows me to plug in to the port on my iPad and take my memory card, or I can just do it directly from the camera, but I find it easier to just plug a memory card into the dongle. Because your X100V has USB-C, and new cameras are starting to have USB-C. My camera does have USB-C. This actually brings up a, a, a pain point in the past, because at one point you could only import photos into the Apple Photos app. And then any other app that you might use, like, say, Lightroom or uh, Raw Power or anything like that, had to basically use the Photos library as the source. Now, things are much better now. You can import things directly to the Files app and then access things from there, which gives you some some way to, to, to be able to back things up a little bit. Um, well, I'll touch on that in a second. But, like... What I use on my iPad primarily is the Lightroom app because I'm I'm invested in in the whole Adobe ecosystem. And what I like about doing this on the iPad is I can plug it in and Lightroom will recognize that I've attached uh, a third-party, you know, card or storage device and it will import directly from there. And when I do that, the originals get copied to the iPad, and then they are then synced up to the cloud so that when I get back to my computer, let's say I've left my computer at home, those will then sync back down into the Lightroom app 
and I'll have the originals. Assuming you have the bandwidth. Assuming I have the bandwidth. Yeah, that that's a very very good point, which is which brings up the need for having some sort of a backup. Because when you're traveling, I don't know about you, but I have really good bandwidth here at my home in Seattle. Mm. And when I'm traveling, I never have good bandwidth and I I come back home and I feel like, "Oh, I've, I've Yeah. I now have actual bandwidth that there's this sense of peace <laughs> that goes with it <laughs> but you're never going to get high bandwidth in a hotel never 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 were you shooting your photos in raw raw and jpeg i was shooting raw and jpeg so th- this camera only has one one card slot right and I-, I was shooting raw jpeg in case i wanted to transfer something from the camera directly to say my phone if i wanted to share something right away uh the hilarious thing about this is is that I forgot that the Fuji app is terrible and would never actually connect properly to allow me to do that. <laughs> I was going to mention that because um, some of the apps are actually quite good. The Leica app is quite good, but the Fuji app is notorious for not being good. But there are third-party apps that can do these things. The, the reason I asked about Roll yeah. JPEG is um, these look to be... So from my X-T3, which has the same sensor, it's about 55 to 60 megabytes for RAW and about 13 to 18 for JPEG. So every single photo, RAW and JPEG, that's about 60 to 70 megabytes. That's a lot of data. It is a lot of data, yeah. So you definitely need to have an iPad that has a pretty beefy amount of storage. Uh, But you don't necessarily need to get like the two terabyte model. That would be great, but it's really pricey. Uh, And of course, this will depend on if you're gone for like a three week trip or something. So definitely take that storage into account. But I don't think you need to go crazy. If you go someplace like a Starbucks and use their Wi-Fi, what sort of upstream bandwidth do you get? It totally depends. I'm thinking, get a cup of coffee, go to Starbucks to to get all your photos off your device or even drop them if you have an FTP server or something, copy them to make a backup? It so totally depends. Like, for example, some Starbucks are pretty robust. Uh, There's one near where my mom lives that is just – I keep thinking, well, Starbucks has free Wi-Fi and I'll just go there Mm. and the upstream bandwidth is terrible. So, you know, it, it so totally depends. I guess it depends on whether it's a Robusta or an Arabica. <laughs> yes, exactly. I would like the Arabica uh, bandwidth, please, because it, it, it's actually a little finer. It's not as yes. coarse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So so, so my 11-inch my iPad Pro, I actually only have 256 gigs of internal storage. But for my needs, that's – that's okay. And in fact, I still have 148 gigs left. Now, I also didn't do a lot of shooting on this trip. This wasn't a quote-unquote photographic trip. So there's not that much of a, of a concern. But it's definitely something that you need to think about, which brings me to the next point, which is you can connect, say, an external SSD and use the Files app to copy things to make a backup of your images or you know export from Lightroom onto there because as we all know you want backups and that external SSD is like half the size of your iPhone if not smaller mm-hmm. um, you can use if you get one that's USB C you can use the same cable that you're connecting your camera so you can make sure that you don't have to have 117 cables with you exactly it's it, it's very very handy now 
It's not as easy as copying things from your computer, but it's possible. Okay. So what would you want to do with your photos? Once you've got them on the iPad, you're not going to do major editing, right? Uh, sometimes. Now, it depends on how you want to classify major. But usually what I want to do is uh, two things. I want to do some initial calling. So I want to be able to just go through and say, all right, this is worth editing later. This is one that I really liked. Maybe this is one that I will export and share to Instagram right away, something like that. And for that use, uh, Lightroom is actually pretty good. It actually has a nice reviewing mode where you can use your left thumb on the left side of the screen, swipe up to give a star rating or your right thumb on the other side, on the right side of the screen to flag something as a, as a pick or a reject. And you can very quickly just sort of go through your images. And I would like to say that I do this religiously. At the end of the day, I'm going to review all my shots. It never works out that way. But when you're on the plane... Well, at the end of the day, you're sitting in a bar drinking cocktails and eating peanuts, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, But it does make it really easy for me to, to go and flag things. So things that, that catch my eye or something that I knew that I wanted to work on later, I will give it two stars. And then I can filter that really easily later and then work from there. So that's that's really, really handy. So you're talking about Lightroom. The other option is Apple Photos. What other apps are there on, on the iPad that lets you do this? I know that Capture One is coming out with an iPad app very soon, mm -hmm. and I've signed up for the beta program, and I got an email yesterday saying I'll be getting information soon. But what else is there? I know there's things like Snapseed, but what, what other big apps are there that duplicate the desktop experience that you're going to use as a sort of intermediary? There are not very many, and it, it really depends on what you're using. So I would say Photos is is one, Lightroom. Uh, on One, they just released a mobile app, uh, I want to say last year or maybe sometime in the last maybe nine months or so. Uh, and I, I wrote a review of that, I think for DP Review. We'll put a link in the show notes. And initially, it was really rough, and I, I don't think I gave it a very good review. But they've, they've done a lot of work on it since. And that gives you that ability to do a lot of this work. And any edits that you make are saved both on your device and then synced to your library, and then it all works as a nice big ecosystem. But in terms of, of rating and calling, there's not a whole lot else that will do this. You see, you run into a problem here because you've got two things going on. You've got, on the one hand, you're working on your iPad. On the other hand, you want to get this data to your desktop uh, library. And Capture One doesn't have a cloud storage thing. So with Lightroom, the stuff goes up to the cloud, syncs to the desktop. I don't know how Capture One's going to do this. Maybe you'll have to sync the mm -hmm. device manually because once you start dealing with cloud storage, you've got a different subscription, you've got to worry about the amount of storage you have, et cetera. I mean, this is starting to sound complicated. Yeah. If you want to just use the iPad as a holding station to do some quick editing and then not sync and worry about the cloud, that's fine. But depending on the app, you may not be able to get the photos off with all the data. It sounds... You don't want there to be an export process. We have to choose each photo and export it with a sidecar file. Yeah, yeah. So and for now, it's basically Apple Photos and Lightroom. 
are the main solutions? I would say those are the main solutions. Um, there's also Mylio. I think I'm saying it correctly. It's a, a company in Seattle that they've been around for a long time, and they're actually one of the first to do um, syncing between devices. And actually, they do it in an interesting way because they don't necessarily do it in the cloud. Your devices see each other on the same local network and and then sync. So it, it's it's very uh, it's very smart the way they've implemented it. But the last time I used it, which admittedly was a few years ago, their editing tools were really pretty basic. And so I, I wasn't really able to do very much with that. And so it, it wasn't as compelling to me. Yeah, I think the only real solution here is is if you've got something you use for your photo library and for your photo editing, you want to have that same thing on the iPad. If not, you can't be editing your photos with Snapseed, for instance, because once you take them off the iPad, the edits are frozen. You want the ability to, you know, change the edits. Right, right. Now, the, there is one exception that if you're using, like, let's say uh, you want to edit your photos in raw power. So it integrates with the Photos app in such mm. a way that when you're in the Photos app, you can say edit with with raw power or edit with, with some of these other apps that will do this. And it kicks you over to raw power. You get to use all those tools and then you apply your edit and that edited version gets saved in the Photos library. And raw power does this right. There are some apps that still do not do this correctly where you can actually go back in and round trip and access the edits you made. Right. And then you always have the option to say, you know, this is not what I wanted at all. I'm just going to revert it to the original in the photos library. So your photos library can act as your organization with some limited options for editing. Right. But again, it depends on, you know, where you have everything set up, where where your ecosystem is. Uh, it, it, it's funny, like we've almost run through all of our time just talking about about file management, which is, I don't know, one of the gotchas that have played. Which is most of it. it well, yeah, it is, it is kind of most of it. Because, well, we're not, really, we're not really talking about how to edit on the iPad because you'll use tools that are similar to what you use on the desktop and they may have limitations. Mm -hmm. And it really is about the, it really is about getting the photos from the camera to the iPad back to your desktop. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I mean, I was going to say in terms of editing itself, most of the features for, you know, adjusting tone and color and all of that are pretty robust in all of these apps. For example, in Lightroom, um, especially because on the iPad I have an Apple Pencil, that's really great for doing, say, local edits or I want to do some masking, which is now a, a Lightroom feature. And I can do all of that really pretty easily, and all those edits just get synced automatically. So if, what I will often do is I will go through and maybe do like a, I don't know, three-quarter edit of something, or or maybe I'll edit something that I, I feel is really good for sharing on Instagram, and I'll, I'll save a version of that and, exp and, and share it to Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And then later on, when I'm looking on my computer, Maybe I'll do a little bit more refined editing because I have a you know a bigger screen there. But most everything the the things that come to mind that I can't really do easily are if I'm shooting panoramas, and so I need to to merge a bunch of panorama panels together. That's still not really easily available. Or if I'm 
uh, bracketing exposures because I want to do an HDR type image. That's not really there. Um, Affinity Photo will do those things, but Affinity Photo is kind of its own. It's kind of its own beast. It's kind of a dead end. Kind of, yeah. Like it doesn't slot really well into this. You can do that, and then you you're exporting, you know, a separate JPEG file that you can then reintegrate into your library. And I find that 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 for doing panoramas and HDR shots, it's easier to just leave them in the library and work on those when I get home to the computer. Okay, you said something that I think is really exciting, and you just kind of said it oh. like in passing, using the Apple Pencil. Because yes. So I bought a graphics tablet a couple months ago, I mentioned to you. I really haven't used it for photos yet, but I've been using it when I edit podcasts, and I find it really good with Logic Pro. But oh. I've always found that the idea of... I'm editing on a screen and I'm using a mouse or a trackpad or a graphics tablet. There's an abstraction between my hand and the screen. And the idea of using the Apple Pencil to do edits on the photo, I mean, that's revolutionary. It's great. It's, it's really great. There are times, I'm sure I've said this before, there are times when even if I'm working in Lightroom on my computer, I will turn to the iPad because I want to... You know, manually paint in an area or brush in an area that I want to make darker or lighter. And it's just easier to do with the pencil, knowing that that edit is going to sync directly between the two devices, rather than trying to do it with a mouse or with the trackpad. This isn't like a snapshot pick, but I don't know if you've gotten any of these. I got these little Apple Pencil condoms that you put on the tip. No. And they're silicone, so they they make it, they give it a drag that's more like the feeling of a pencil on paper, and it doesn't slide as much. You can find uh, them on Amazon for a couple bucks each. Okay, th- th- that's good to know. I've actually been thinking about something like that because uh, my kid likes to draw, but doesn't like the 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 glassy feel. Yeah. But these give just enough drag. They're smooth, but there's just enough drag to make it feel like you're drawing on paper. Uh, It's a, it's a really nice thing. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's wrap up and move to our snapshots. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I feel like we we didn't even really do any explanations of, of, of how to edit, but you're right. It's, it's the same. We're at the point now where a lot of the editing tools are, are pretty much the same. Yeah. Okay. What have you got? (laughs) <laughs> Actually, uh, you, you gave it away earlier. Uh, my snapshot is the ah. X100V, <laughs> Fuji X100V. A friend of mine bought the uh, Leica monochrome, and he, of course, fell in love with it. And uh, that is his now compact walking around camera and didn't need this anymore. And so uh, he asked if I wanted to buy it at a really good price. And I said, well... Do I need a second camera? And honestly, uh, this has been a great second camera. This is the only camera, I think I mentioned, the only camera that I took to New York with me. Um, it's small. It's compact. It's cute. Mine is is like the silver one. Um, I've quickly fallen in love with it. I don't know if it's going to be my everyday camera, but it might just be. Uh, it's It's super handy. So... Uh, Fujifilm X100V, it has lots of features and good stuff. Have you used the optical viewfinder at all? I've used it a little bit. You can switch back and forth between the the electronic and the optical. Right, between the electronic and the optical. And there's even a hybrid mode where you can 
use the optical and see a little electronic. So the optical viewfinder, it's kind of like looking through a rangefinder camera where you're just framing what you see. And I, I liked that a lot because you're not thinking too much about the photo. You're thinking just framing what you see. And it's a difference with live mm-hmm. view, right? But it's an interesting way to shoot photos. So it's it's worth exploring. Yeah, I, I found myself avoiding it a little bit just because I've become so accustomed to looking at the electronic viewfinder where I know this is the exposure I'm going to get rather than sort of thinking that the camera is going to take care of this for me or I know that I have the exposure set correctly and I can just focus on on the optical. But it was sort of like using a DSLR where you're looking through basically an optical viewfinder and you then you know take your shot and see whether it's it's properly exposed etc so i feel like i need to rewire my brain and practice a bit you can display the histogram and other information in the optical viewfinder so you can use that to judge your exposure yeah when yeah, i had yeah, the yeah, x100f i would use the um exposure compensation wheel to 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 set the histogram and and you don't worry too much you underexpose a little bit and it's fine the way the sensor works so I, I look forward to hearing more about how you like your fixed lens camera. Yes. Yeah. It, it's a crazy new world for me. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you have this week? Um, nothing photographic. Now, we said a while ago that we can use other things for snapshots. I've been playing guitar since I was a teenager, and I played for a couple of years. I put it away, and I also play the shakuhachi. And I decided to pull out my guitar recently because I love to play finger-picking blues. It's like the music to me that the guitar was invented for. So I've been listening to one of my favorite albums, Blind Gary Davis, Harlem Street Singer. Uh, Reverend Gary Davis was a blues singer. He was born in South Carolina. He moved to New York. And he was probably one of the most influential blues guitarists, even though you probably haven't heard of him if you're not into the blues. Influential mostly because he taught so many white boys how to play the blues guitar. Um, he mm. taught people like um, Stefan Grossman and David Bromberg. And uh, interestingly, he made a recording of an old song called Samson and Delilah. And somehow it was listed as his copyright. Peter, Paul, and Mary did a cover. He got royalties, enough to buy a house, which he had never had before, which was about a mile from where I grew up. Now, I didn't know at the time that he was in the neighborhood, and all the white boys were coming with their guitars on the subway to go get lessons from Gary Davis. But he didn't perform as much as like Mississippi John Hurt, who played in the clubs in the village all the time, but he taught and taught and taught. His influence is far and wide through blues rock. If you know Yorma Kalkin and Hot Tuna, um, they played lots of uh, Gary Davis songs. The Grateful Dead played a few. Um, he's just really well known for his, particularly his gospel songs. He he did some blues like Hesitation Blues and Cocaine Blues that are well known, but a lot of his songs were gospel songs because he was a, a reverend, a preacher. Um, this album was recorded in 1960 by Rudy Van Gelder, the great jazz um, record producer who had the studio in New Jersey where all the great jazz musicians came through. Uh, Gary Davis sat down, played 12 songs, one take each, and it's just like one of the quintessential blues albums. So Blind Gary Davis, Harlem Street Singer. Link in the show notes. Okay, until next time. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. 
You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app. 